Hello and a warm welcome to the EY Microsoft Tech Directions podcast. I'm Susanna Streeter and in this episode we're focusing on the tech enabling finance and tax transformations. We've been through a maelstrom of challenges over the past two years or so. We've seen huge supply chain disruption caused by the pandemic. We're facing a shortage of key talent across the business. Legislative changes are looming and now we've been hit by a wave of geopolitical uncertainty. It's little wonder corporate finance and tax departments have felt rather under pressure recently. In-house specialists are facing a growing set of requirements crowding their agendas while continuing to experience budget cuts and difficulties recruiting staff for skilled roles. And it also comes at a time when finance and tax systems are becoming ever more complex. So as part of the solution, more businesses are co-sourcing certain activities to tech-focused outside specialists. This can not only help improve efficiency, but has the additional benefit of giving senior staff that extra bit of breathing space to tackle the big strategic questions facing the business. So just what is the best way to deal with this shift? Just how and when should businesses take action to adjust? And how can data and tech be leveraged to add more value to the organization? Well, I'm really pleased to say we have three eminent thought leaders who will address all of these issues and guide us through the rapid developments taking place, discuss what's stopping businesses from implementing much needed change and offer plenty of solutions along the way. But before I introduce them, please remember, Conversations during EY podcast should not be relied upon as accounting, tax, legal investment or other professional advice. Listeners must consult their own advisors. Well, joining me now from the UK and the US are Lynn Bird, VP Cross Industry at Microsoft. Hello there, Lynn. Hi, Suzanne. Lovely to be here. Miles Corson, a leader in EY's global finance practice. Welcome, Miles. Hi, Susanna. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to have you. And Dave Helmer, EY's Global Tax and Finance Operate Leader. Hi, Dave. Hi, Susanna. Great to be with you. Okay, thank you. We've got so much to talk about. So I'm going to start with Miles. I mean, we often hear about the future of finance, but do you really think the future needs to start right now and that companies really have little time to waste given the huge pressures that I've just been outlining? Well, Susanna, absolutely. And, and we really believe that the future of finance is now. And despite all the disruption and the change that you've, you've mentioned, there never really has been a better time to be in finance. And one of the things we see come through consistently in our research of the DNA of the CFO is senior finance leaders are very excited about the role that they're playing. And there's huge job satisfaction. And a lot of that's driven by the strategic role they're playing, influencing the direction of the businesses they represent. So, so I think we should start very, with a very positive outlook in, in terms of the role finance is playing. But at the same time, there's clearly a lot to do. And again, as we think about the, the research we do with CFOs, there are three key areas that come through very clearly and very consistently that are areas of focus for them. And the first one is value creation. And, and clearly, there is an expectation about finance playing a role, helping to create value for their organizations. And as many of your listeners will be aware, increasingly, that's not just financial performance, it's also non-financial performance and a long-term value creation. So how do you balance generating long-term value with the short-term performance that investors often expect? So how, how you balance those two things is, is a key challenge for finance executives. As we're going to talk about technology and data particularly is a key area. So how do you invest 
invest in the right ways? How do you allocate resources? And how do you make sure you're generating a return on that investment in technology and data? making. Uh, and thirdly, and by no means uh, least, is, is the people and culture transformation. And we're going to talk a lot today around you know, the role of talent uh, and the role of finance talent in driving this transformation and driving the culture shift, driving the upskilling to take advantage of all these new opportunities is very much front and centre for finance leaders today. Absolutely, Miles. Let me bring you in, Dave. I mean, Miles talked there a bit about why finance functions are transforming. How are you seeing companies approach the transformation of traditional functions? And what is the value they're finding in being able to focus on higher value activities? Yeah, well, thank you. Almost every company I speak with is looking at new operating models. A survey we recently released, 85% of the companies said they're looking at new operating models, looking to separate routine, data-driven tasks from those high-value, high-risk activities, and looking to really focus on those things that drive value and reduce risk. Um, The survey found 96% of the companies are looking at co-sourcing as a way to tackle the time-consuming, data-driven, and routine tasks that that companies deal with. And, And right now, there's a lot of pressure on companies You think about talent, right? Um, Finding the right people around the globe, hiring them, developing them, giving them a career path, a huge challenge for big global companies. You also have significant legislative uh, change happening right now. Governments spend over 30 trillion um, on COVID relief, and now governments are changing tax laws, looking at how they can raise revenues, a very significant challenge for companies. Also, data and technology, a huge challenge, building a plan that's sustainable. And even if you were able to get it right day one, day two, as a tax law changes, new technologies available, it can get outdated. So having a sustainable plan around data and technology is very complicated. And then having to deal with all those challenges and reduce cost is what really complicates it. Our survey found 74% of the companies are actually having to do more with less, reduce their budget. So overall, Suzanne, everybody is looking at a new operating model, looking to become more efficient and drive more value. Yeah, interesting there, Dave, you're talking about the COVID costs as well, having an impact on all of this. Uh, Miles, do you think there's an opportunity, though, to maintain momentum following the pandemic in terms of transformational change? Yeah, absolutely, Susanna. And I think one of the things that you know, finance executives have really got an opportunity is, is build on some of the lessons learned through the pandemic, where they've had to move with an agility and speed that perhaps some of them have surprised themselves with the ability of their organisations to adapt. Uh, and so I think we've seen um, new innovation, a speed of adoption of cloud through the pandemic. And I think a lot of finance executives are looking to build on that momentum and maintain it going forward and looking to sort of build on that innovation muscle memory that's been created. Yeah, what's your take on this, Lynn? I mean, how do you think the pandemic has really helped shift gears for traditional enterprise functions? The word I like in terms of what that Miles is using in terms of this muscle and flexing this muscle, I think let's all be honest, we woke up one day and we couldn't go into work anymore. And a lot of the things that we thought we needed to do sitting alongside each other, actually, we proved we didn't. 
And as, as much as anything, it was a mindset. And it was a mindset that, you know, things that needed to be done in the, not just the firewall of a company, but in the physical location of that company didn't actually need to be in that physical location. And so we allowed ourselves to reimagine how the work was being done. And I think no one realized how possible it really was. And so then you step back and you look at a finance function and you think, well, all of our belief systems have now been challenged. So what, what might we or how might we operate differently? And then it comes down to, you know, the tech that allows you to do that as well as a mindset. And then I think everything really gets underpinned by data and machine learning and predictive kind of capabilities. So I think that the pandemic allowed us to unlock our imagination, not that I would ever call imaginative finance, but unlock your imagination in terms of how you might operate things completely differently and be a fundamentally different value creator and value partner to the organization that you're serving. Yeah, as you say, so many opportunities. But Mars, how do you choose the right tech solutions to drive growth through data-driven insight? Yeah, it's a great question, Susanna. And I think oftentimes you know, people see technology as being the silver bullet and the solution. And I think you know, it's a cliche, but you know, this really comes down to transformation being about people, process, and technology. And increasingly, I would really you know, point to data as being the, you know, the, the oil in the cogs that makes all of that flow and, and come together. And, and so to me, I think, again, one of the big advances has been the, the ability to really start to unlock the potential of data, not just traditional finance data, but also um, you know, broader non-financial data, data from the edge. And, and I think organizations that can really have a data strategy that scales and adapts to the continual evolution of data will, will be successful. So, so my, my first point is, is probably don't just assume that the technology itself is is the, is the answer and particularly now with the speed with which new technologies are evolving you know from you know, from the traditional you know backbone technologies of general ledger and ERP but increasingly into very specialist applications in finance there's just such a proliferation that it's very difficult to stay on say on top of and again I think what this really comes down to is do finance executives understand the business problem that they're trying to solve and the outcome that they're working towards. Because once you understand that, you can then define, do I have the right technology solutions to answer those questions? Yeah, absolutely. So Lynn, can you give an example of how the same data is touched by so many areas across a business and explain just why this shows that a functional data set is so important? Yeah, I'll give you, I mean, obviously there, there could be any myriad of examples, but I think one that pops to mind is really when you start looking at things like transfer pricing, and you look at all of the data that you need to do all the tax calculations around transfer pricing, and you actually realize that that same data is needed in terms of how you're doing sourcing and strategic sourcing of goods. So when you look at you know, just transfer pricing, and then you go one step further and you say, what is the strategic sourcing? What is the ethical sourcing of the cotton that we're talking about that's kind of moving between legal entities? Actually, it's that same source of data that solves multiple use cases for a company just within the finance domain, let alone what Miles was talking about in terms of collecting data at the edge, when you're looking at kind of people productivity, just literally, you know, energy management savings within buildings and how from a finance perspective, if you have access to that, how many times the lights are on or how much the HVAC is running and you can actually do that against sensors that are in there and kind of strategically say, how, how might we cut costs by putting in more stringent usage of the, of the rooms and the facilities so that you're reducing your overall HVAC or energy costs in terms of what you do. So I think the opportunities are limitless in terms of how you need to do it. You just need to be able to collate the right data and then ask the right questions. So it's not so much 
what is what is the data? It's what questions we need to pose at the data that allows us to unlock the opportunities. Yeah, that's. I mean, the efficiencies are clear. And also, Dave, would you say that doing all of this enables more than just cost savings? Yeah, it's a, a great question. Our 2022 tax and finance operate survey where we interviewed 1,700 companies. They said the number one reason they're pursuing these opportunities was to add more value to the organization. That was 39% of the companies. Secondly, was reducing risk. And that was 37% of the companies. They were looking at the co-sourcing and leveraging data is a way to reduce uh, risk. And it was only 24% of the companies that said they were pursuing these opportunities to reduce costs. As Lynn said, you know, data is reused so many times in the organization. You think about your statutory accounts, your income tax provision, your corporate income tax filing, all leveraging the same data. And, and with a common data model, and a data management platform, you're able to repurpose and reuse that data and really allow you to focus on uh, being a, a true business partner, driving more value, effectively managing your risk, and then being efficient in managing your costs. So a really terrific opportunity for companies. Miles, as Dave's pointing out, the benefits are clear. But how do you drive culture change and mindset to, to really capitalize on these opportunities? Oh, it's such an important question. And I think you, you can't disconnect the, the conversation around culture change from, from the conversation around purpose. Uh, and I think, again, finance executives that are able to make the very clear connection between what they're driving in terms of a functional transformation with what the overall business purpose and strategy is are likely to drive more success in their transformation programs. Uh, and again, we've got research that very clearly shows that organizations that are very focused on the, the human agenda of transformation are two and a half times more likely to be successful th than others. And uh, you know, an example for me is you know, one of the, the life sciences companies that, that I'm aware of very much talking about what they're doing from finance as being connected to what they're trying to drive in terms of patient outcomes. So again, money that's being saved through finance is freeing up investment capital to go into research and development. Um, so again, telling that story and getting your finance team excited and motivated about the difference they're making, I think, is is a huge driver of, of, of success in, in transformation. And I just want to pick up on a couple of points Dave made in that, because I, I think that this whole value creation story is, is really important. And, and oftentimes, I think finances look through through the lens of cost reduction and efficiency. And actually, you know, th there's a real story to be told about about the value that, that finance is creating for the organization. And if you if finance executives can tell that story and really communicate um, the return on investment, they should be arguing for more investment. And particularly you know, at this point where there, there are so many opportunities, I think you know, that, that storytelling is going to be increasingly important. And again, shifting the narrative to, to how you're bringing value to the organization is going to be a differentiator. Yeah, I mean, it's clear just how important the value creation story is. But often the problem is knowing where to start, particularly given worries about upsetting team alignment. Lynn, can you begin small but scale up rapidly? Is that the option that should be pursued? I think absolutely, Suzanne. Can you? Of course, for sure. And I think the way I the way I like to think about it is 
you know, of, of people entering the workforce right now, none of them, none of them were born after a phone was developed and they had access to device in their hands. And so people that walk into our buildings and work as employees for us these days expect a consumer grade experience for how they do their jobs. And, you know, when you, when you look back and you think about how do you do this, like providing things like hackathons for finance people to actually look at how they might improve the data collection, the data sourcing and providing a challenge and linking that challenge to the purpose that, that Miles spoke of is a very powerful way to kind of win over hearts and minds because it shouldn't just be to take headcount out. Of course, you know, headcount out is not a bad thing, but it, it's not in service of headcount out only. It's in service of prioritizing the investment to land the value. And if it's linked to the purpose that Miles spoke about, that happens fairly quickly. I think the other way to look at it, Suzanne, is that Frankly, every company needs to be a platform company. We've heard this. Every company needs to be a digital company. Every platform company needs to be a platform company. But actually, it's true because everyone needs to focus on what their data platform is and how they extract value and see insights from that data and looking at use cases. And I think there aren't better people to solve that than employees themselves. So sometimes people think it's about misalignment, but actually providing the challenge asking people to solve, if it's linked to a purpose and a strategy, there isn't any person in a finance function that wouldn't wouldn't rise to the challenge of looking at how might they do things better, not just to make a better employee experience, but to make a better world. Yeah. I mean, do you think then we need a, a vision rethink here? Miles, do you think there's maybe too much focus on project plans rather than an overall strategy? Absolutely. And I think Lynn's point around the generational differences is so important. And I think we'd all recognize the war for talent right now and organizations that can really connect that purpose and the visioning story um, to, to that generation coming into the workforce are likely to do better in that war for talent. So, so I think it's such an important point. And, and again, I think that there's always the sort of the view that finance people can be very analytical that they you know they, they think very much with with the left brain rather than than right brain you know low levels of eq i mean that there's a lot of a lot of cliches but yeah and that often translates into you know wanting to to just communicate a project plan but again i think using technology, using visualization to tell stories in different ways to engage both your, your finance talent, but also your broader cross-functional uh, stakeholders across the business is going to be really important, again, in organizations that are able to, to differentially perform. So I, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity here and, and finance executives that can embrace some different ways of thinking will be successful. And I use an example, we, we were involved in a major transformation with a controllership function and we actually brought in a brand and marketing agency to work alongside us to help the client use language and ideas to communicate things in a different way and tell that that visioning story uh, and articulate it in an engaging way that got the organization on board. Really interesting. Dave, have you got any more examples about how this kind of use case of a different way of thinking can deliver real benefits. Yeah, and, and really trying to tie together some things that Miles and Lynn just commented on. I think companies need to either build or work with a provider that has a true data management plan that can integrate with state-of-the-art engines and reporting tools. This will allow them to automate uh, many of the data-driven and rules-based activities that you find uh, within tax, and that will allow companies to really focus on the high-value things of effective tax planning, 
It'll allow companies to focus on high risk activities like managing your controversy. And then thirdly, to be a value added partner to the business. What we find is companies spend so much time wrangling data, trying to get the compliance done. They never get to the strategic or high risk thing. So I think the key takeaway is having that data management platform that integrates with state-of-the-art reporting engines or work with a provider who's made those investments so you can get as much of your compliance as possible automated to allow you to focus on high value and high risk activities. Yeah, and and Lynn, let me bring you back in. To what extent, uh, listening to what Dave is saying, To what extent have advances in technology really been a game changer here to move the dial? Yes, Suzanne, before before I even answer that, I'm just going to use an anecdote I often use. And that is, you know, at the end of the day, we as a human race landed a man on a moon before we put a wheel on a suitcase. And that's factually correct because I wasn't alive when we landed a man on a moon. And I remember my first suitcase with a wheel. And so... (laughs) Actually, if you step back from it to bring to some of the kind of comments that Dave was making in terms of what, how might we automate more? If you set the mission statement with the right purpose, the technology is there to automate. It's literally the mission that we have to lay out for our employees and for, our, for the people of the world to actually land on doing the right thing and not be hindered by kind of fear of jobs or fear of impact and all of those. So as long as, again, it's linked to that purpose and strategy, it works. I mean, of course, the technology is moving at a rate of knots. I mean, I work for a technology company. I've grown up in tech and I, and I feel like I understand it, but every day I'm learning something new. So, you know, the, the speed at which technology is changing, there is no shortage of opportunity for us to apply tech to do that. And so that's that's what I would say in return to that, that tech has disrupted it, but it's much more so a mindset to solve the right questions. Okay, well, Miles, let me bring you in because you've alluded as well to one of the key issues in all of this is access to talent. Do you think employees are equipped with the skills needed for this transformation that we're talking about? I mean, there is a worry that much work will still need to be done before personnel have the right data, processes and technological skills alongside their technical tax skills. Absolutely. And I think we've, we've touched on mindset previously. And I think it really starts with with mindset. And, and Carol Dweck talks about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And I think it's really important that finance uh, people embrace a, a growth mindset. They're open to new ideas, as we've talked about, ways of, of innovating and, and being creative in, in the right spaces. But I really wanted to pick up on the, the example Lynn gave, which I think is just fantastic. And, and the way I would describe it is actionable insight. Right. It's very easy to get focused on you know, the massive picture and it's very difficult to make progress. But if, if you can present the right vision and your people understand the difference they can make, that's where you can drive actionable insight. And, and for me in finance, you know, we've got to move away from the traditional backward looking um, sort of compliance reporting mindset and into how do we drive actionable insight that supports the business. So we talk a lot about how do we drive much more real time actionable insight. So it's no good waiting till the end of the month to review what happened. How is a finance your team uh, mid month? Are you looking at the way performance is trending, using all that great rich insight and data you have of the history to be advising your operational business on things they need to be adjusting, the levers they need to be pulling to make sure you're tracking where you need to be to close the month in in line with, with forecast. And Lynn, I assume you see a real HR benefit from these new systems in the longer term, improving the employee 
experience. So do you think it will make for a more sophisticated and user-friendly tech environment? There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to choose where they want to work and they're going to choose based on the people they work with, the culture that's there, and then the tools they get to use every day to do that. And there's choice for people. And we've seen that in the Great Resignation. We've seen that in in kind of repurposing what you do given the pandemic and questions we ask. So the tooling becomes really important for people to change their experience of doing their jobs. And I think empowering finance finance people and finance staff and the finance workforce to actually use these tools as creatively as possible and kind of be celebrated for how they do that becomes a very big HR benefit. It becomes a very big talent attraction benefit in terms of isn't a finance person that isn't exceptionally good at Excel. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be exceptionally good at low-code, no-code apps on the phone that drive next best recommendations and actions. And how better to celebrate when somebody does, you know, I shared the concept of a hackathon earlier. If there's like a finance hackathon and they celebrate it for having solved or unlocked big value for the company, be it in a manufacturing plant, be it in a research facility, and actually allowing this data-driven insights to be celebrated and rewarded across the organization is a very powerful thing. So I think providing the right tooling to people is right. And like I said, you know, there are very few people that walk through our doors as employees that grew up without a phone in their pockets. And so we need to give them consumer-grade experiences to do their jobs, not just consumer-grade experiences to play with and talk, talk on the phone through social media to their friends. Absolutely. Really illuminating. Dave, I mean, you can really hear from what Lynn's saying, just how this can or it's going to help with employee retention, isn't it, if it's got right? Yeah, leveraging your data and having a data management platform driving automation or working with a service provider who's made those investments and has the automation will go a long way um, for employee retention. Um, Everywhere I go in the world, I hear over and over again, I went to university to become a tax specialist and I'm stuck wrangling data and reworking it and not able to focus on planning and controversy and all the things that that I like to do. So if you can drive that automation and allow people to focus on those uh, higher value, higher risk activities, it goes a long way around job satisfaction and retaining your employees. Yeah, and it's interesting because finance and tax operations have really been known as being the custodians of the data. Do you think, Lynn, this new approach will enable them to be shifted towards being seen as a more strategic and integrated partner for the commercial side of the business? 100%, Dan. I mean, at the end of the day, we come back to what Miles said right at the upfront in terms of a, a CFO being a value creator. This is the exact example of where the CFO or the finance function becomes a value creator for the business. So if you've got the right data, you can draw the right analytics and you can actually do the so what and the next best action. Because what is actually really important from a human absorption of these things is that there's no shortage of data. It's literally what data to what end and the contextual message that that data is giving. And I think that's where finance and tax operations becomes a real partner to the business because it's not just in the instance of what that report says, but it's got a lot of business context that you need to wrap it with in order to be that commercial partner to the to the organization and therefore the value created that Miles spoke so so eloquently of earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Miles, let me go back to you. So how can finance people be better plugged into teams? What else needs to happen? What can finance bring to the table to drive value creation through the business? I mean, Lynn's outlined 
uh, just why it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I come from a point where, to me, finance is the language of business. It, it's such a foundational building block that we're in a unique position to, to understand what is happening across the organization. And so it's always been a surprise to me in the in the 10 plus years that we've been doing the DNA of the CFO research, that whilst CFOs have very strong relationships with, with boards and with CEOs, the relationships with some of the other functional C-suite executives like CMOs, like CHROs, hasn't been as strong. And, and around about half of the CFOs that we've surveyed consistently have said they don't have strong relationships in that area. So yeah, we last did the survey beginning of 2020 as the pandemic was kicking in. We're going to run it again next year. And I'm certainly going to be interesting interested to see whether that statistic has changed. And again, given the the intensity of, of having to work together and collaborate in a much more dynamic environment has changed some of those statistics. But to me, the the, the quick win is being engaged with your cross cross-functional C-suite peers. Um, so as a finance leader, you've got to be connected. You've got to be engaging in a, in a different way, understanding people have different perspectives, different backgrounds, and how do we use finance and the language of finance to bridge some of those gaps using some of the technology that we've talked about in terms of visualization to, to get past just the very traditional spreadsheet analysis that frankly can turn off some of the, the stakeholders that don't have a finance background. Yeah, that visualization becoming so much more important. Lynn, you mentioned earlier about how the use of data can really help with turning the lights off when they're really needed. But in terms of ESG disclosures, what is the real benefit of finance being plugged into teams? Look, I think at the at the heart of it, every transaction at its source has a lot more data associated with it than just the transaction itself. So what I mean by that, I spoke earlier about the example of strategic sourcing and trying to do the S of ESG in the right way and socially responsible sourcing. When you start looking at all of the data that gets collected from transaction capturing, I mean, whether it's scope one, scope two, scope three, I mean, it's all flows through a financial ledger at some point. And so actually finance is the heart of all of that data collection. So if you're just collecting it for tax reporting purposes, you're missing an opportunity to say what well, who else might use or who else might benefit or what else might we extract from the same data source that we could solve multiple use cases. So I couldn't say it better than what Miles did in terms of the relationships that sit with your other CX whatever peers on, on, a, on a management team, because the finance... Finance is the glue that brings all of those together. So, you know, sourcing, strategic sourcing, transactions, cross borders, payments, controls, all of that kind of comes into the whole ESG space as well, without a shadow of a doubt. And Miles, what does the current corporate reporting survey flag up in this respect? Yeah, well, that, that's probably a podcast in itself, Susanna. But uh, just just briefly, I think that the key thing that comes through in the research we've done on this is just the gap between investor expectations and preparer expectations. So yeah, that there's clearly work to do on that. So that your preparers believe what they're presenting is fit for purpose. Investors expect a lot more. So yeah, how are we going to bridge that gap? I think that there's clear recognition in, in in the need for a global set of consistent standards that will help people to, to bridge that gap. But I think yeah, to, to Lynn's point, the role of finance in, in helping to, to drive process and control around the disclosure of non-financial information is so important and, and boards and audit committees are expecting it. You know, whilst there aren't standards currently, it's clear that investors look very strategically at this information. It's material in terms of how they they're assessing business performance. And so it needs to have that rigor around it that I think finance is uniquely positioned to provide. 
you're right, we probably do need to do another podcast on that very subject. But Dave, I'd like to bring you in as well now. I mean, let's talk about how governments are moving to real-time tax reporting, like the new ESG reporting, as the whole regulatory arm evolves. Just how can the common data model help address these new demands and also future-proof your function? Yeah, I mean, we're really facing something we've never seen before. There's just so many new reporting requirements coming down the road. You have the OECD base erosion, uh, profit shifting. You have the country by country reporting. You have some countries going to real time transactional reporting to the governments. And it's just so many new things happening really highlights how important it is to have a common data model and a true data management platform. So if today I'm going to file a paper return every 12 months, and then I'm going to go to to monthly filings or go to transactional filings, if you have that common data model, all you need to do then is change the mechanism to actually do the reporting. And I think just with the evolution and how quickly uh, governments are moving and all of these new provisions um, that are coming and there's going to be a lot more right to really future proof this it's having that model or working with a provider who can quickly pivot and and be ready to file under the new requirements of the governments. Thank you so much. Well, we're coming to the end of the podcast now. We're running out of time. But before we end, I would like to ask the, the three of you, if there was one first step which companies should take on this transformation journey for finance and tax teams, what should it be? Dave, I'll start with you. Yeah, no, I think the first thing companies should do is look at their operating model and determine if it's optimal. Um, I, I think probably the, the best way to look at it is separating what the function does between the really high value, high risk, and then the data-driven uh, routine uh, activities, and then either build automation that can drive those data-driven routine activities or work with a provider to allow you to free your teams up to work on the really high value and high risk activities and to be a true value added partner to the business. Okay, Lynn, what's your big takeaway? Truly, the cement that makes the operating model stick is understanding that data layer. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay, short and sweet. Finally, Miles. Yeah, well, I I endorse Lynn's comment, but for me, it's definitely the visioning piece. And I think it's it's such an obvious one, but one that isn't done consistently well. And and at the end of the day, for me, you know, finance transformation is is not about transforming the finance function. It's about enabling better business performance and better business outcomes. So the more you can connect the vision for your finance organization to that overall strategic vision for for your business, um, the more likely it is you'll get engaged people, you'll drive successful transformation, you'll drive better business outcomes. Okay. Well, thank you so much to all three of you, to Miles, to Lynn, and to Dave. It's been really great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Miles, Dave, as always a pleasure. Thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Suzanne. It's a great discussion. For more information, visit ey.com slash Microsoft. And a quick note from the attorneys, the views of third parties set out in this podcast are not necessarily views of the global EY organization nor its member firms. Moreover, they should be seen in the context of the time 
in which they were made. I'm Susanna Streeter. I hope you'll join me again for the next edition of the EY Microsoft Tech Directions podcast. EY Microsoft, work better, achieve more.